Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio, brought to you by BetterHelp.com. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives, and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. In a moment, we will be bringing you the conclusion of our latest Yours Truly Johnny Dollar serial, The Broderick Matter, as Johnny continues his search for Lorraine Broderick. The original air dates, November 16th through the 18th of 1955. First, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Getting to know yourself is a lifelong process, and change rarely happens in a single instant. Remember a key moment from my life? It was back when I was in Montana, and I was 21 and driving a Mazda hatchback. I was driving around to a job interview with bad directions, which I thought I could make up for with the up-to-date technology of the time, printed directions from a map website. And I not only didn't make it to the job interview, got lost, stuck in a snowstorm, and stranded by the side of the road. And it occurred to me that if I didn't make it out of the storm, I would have lived a very sad and limited life because of some of my own fears and insecurities. And that moment changed the trajectory of my life. But I'd be lying if I said, and I never had any problems with any of that stuff again, because that's not how life works. It's a process. And we have to keep learning the same lessons over and over again, although in different ways. Therapy is all about deepening your self-awareness and understanding, because sometimes we don't know what we want or why we react the way we do until we talk things through. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. Therapy can be helpful by teaching you coping skills and helping you learn things like how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. If you're considering therapy, try out BetterHelp. It's completely online, so it's flexible for you and it suits your schedule. You just fill out a brief uh, questionnaire and you can get matched with a licensed therapist. And if a therapist doesn't work for you, you can switch for free at any time. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com detectives today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash detectives. And now, it's time for yours truly, Johnny Dollar. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Bob Steele, Eastern Trust. How's New York? Fine, but I haven't found Lorraine Broderick yet. How about your lead? What was his name? Dameron. He hasn't seen her since Christmas Eve a couple of years ago. She walked out on him with 6500 bucks. Uh, what now? You uh, want to keep on with it, Mr. Steele? Sure, we have to pay her off, even if it is only $1,500. But you sound like this was all the farther you want to go. Uh, it might be at that. Uh, what did you say? Look, a sweet old man left a nice little girl $1,500. Apparently, I'm looking for a grown woman who isn't very nice anymore. Beside the point, isn't it? Yeah, I guess so. Okay, Steele, I'm still on the case. Uh, 
Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. Location, New York City, New York. To the Eastern Trust Insurance Company Claims Division, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an account of expenditures during my investigation of the Broderick matter. Subject, Lorraine Broderick. Object, to locate her and pay off claim. Results, disillusioning. More expenses, item nine, three bucks, cab fare. From the plush offices of William Dameron to a filling station out on Long Island. To check his story of Lorraine's disappearance. A major oil company owned and operated the filling station where Lorraine Broderick had last been seen. Their payroll records named three attendants on duty. Christmas Eve, that is, in 1953. Item 10, $28. More cab fare. And don't squawk about it. I located and interviewed all three. Enclosed fine statement of Edward Quinlan. Sure, I remember that chick. Better looking than this picture, I'll tell you that. She drove in with this old guy, uh, Dameron, you said, yeah. Well, he hadn't been away from the car 20 seconds before she was out walking down the street as fast as she could, long dress and all. When he come back and asked what had happened to her, I told him. So he went and sat in his car for maybe a couple hours waiting for her to come back. I knew she was gone for good. He knew it too, must have. But he waited. I felt sorry for him. Poor old geezer, even if he did drive a kid. She shouldn't have run out on him like that, Christmas Eve and all. Pauline Dameron Whitfield, sister of William Dameron, living up in Westchester County, verified her brother's story. Lorraine Broderick had left all of her clothes and bags at her house. Mrs. Whitfield had not heard from her or seen her since Christmas Eve, 1953. A check of the luggage revealed no information that would be helpful in locating Lorraine Broderick. The following morning at the New York Police Department downtown, I requested a missing persons investigation on Lorraine Broderick. She was booked in under an alias, Jane Brown. When I got to court, she gave her right name, Lorraine Broderick. What was the charge, Sergeant? Misdemeanor, drunk, disturbing a piece. Twenty-five bucks a night court, April 25th, 1953. That the only time she made the blotter? Yep. What's the address, Sergeant? 1346 Yardley. 1346 Yardley, years. thanks. At the address on Yardley, I learned that Lorraine Broderick had moved 18 months before. Again, there was no forwarding address, but the landlady turned out to be quite talkative. I'm glad she moved away from here, Mr. Dollar. I'd like to help you find her, but I'm awful glad she moved away. Why do you say that, Mrs. Gaines? Noisy. Parties all the time. I run a quiet place, you know. Yeah, I'm sure you do. When she first come here to rent the apartment, I thought she was the quiet type. Nice. She looked like she was just out of finishing school or something like that. Oh, she couldn't have been more than 20 years old. Well, maybe a little more, 22. She told me she was a secretary and she worked in Manhattan. Well, I let her have the apartment, of course. She paid her rent in advance, in cash. But once she was in, it was a different story. Yeah, yeah. Did, uh, did she tell you where she worked in Manhattan? No, no, she never quite got around to mentioning that. Anyway, she couldn't work very hard. All the dates she had, night after night, honestly. Do you happen to know any of them, Mrs. Gaines? I do not. Big, noisy parties. Well, uh, did she go with any particular man? A smart little girl like that sticking to just one man. I don't know whether she was very smart at all. Was she friendly with anybody in the building? Nope. 
Any idea where she might have gone from here? Nope. All I can say is I'm glad she don't live here no more. I went back to police headquarters. It had occurred to me that hardly anyone is ever arrested for being drunk and disturbing the peace alone. I was right. The night court files revealed that Lorraine Broderick had been arrested with five other people. Three men and two women. I took down their names and began to check them out. Number three down the line was a man named Tyler in the hosiery business. Yes, he remembered Lorraine Broderick very well. No, he hadn't seen her for six months, but he could tell me where she lived. He'd seen her going in and out of an apartment on 61st Street several times. He gave me the address. The boy will take your bag. Will he? Yes, sir. May I help you? I'm looking for a Miss Lorraine Broderick. Broderick? Yes. I'm sorry, sir. We have no one by that name registered here. That's funny. I thought at first you were going to say Lorraine Bradley. We had a Mrs. Bradley here at one time. Oh. Did Mrs. Bradley look anything like this picture? Yes, that's Mrs. Bradley. Bradley, huh? How long ago did she move out? Uh, four months ago, anyhow. Do you have her forwarding address? Uh, no, sir, I don't. I wish I did. Huh? Mrs. Bradley wrote us a bad check for her rent. We've been trying to locate her. Did you report it to the police? Yes, sir. I understand she's been quite active along those lines. They're looking for her, too. For the third time in one day, I was back at police headquarters, this time inquiring about a Lorraine Bradley. There were five wants on her for passing bad checks. Gave it up about four months ago here in New York, looks like. Then we got a buzzer from Chicago. She was there for a couple of weeks. Wrote about $600 in wallpaper. San Francisco people are looking for her, too. Oh, something came in yesterday. Last job in Santa Barbara three days ago. Expense account item 11, $4.05. One long-distance phone call to Mr. Steele at Eastern Trust in Hartford. Using the name Bradley, huh? Yeah, it's probably just a phony. No record of a marriage in New York City to anyone that name. I looked. What's wrong with her, anyhow? I don't know. Well, you better get out to the coast and find out. Item 12, $38, hotel, board, and miscellaneous while in New York City. Item 13, $258.60, New York to Santa Barbara. A little town by the Pacific that impressed me is not caring one thing about the rest of the world. Sun, sea, a pleasantly crowded harbor, some sprawling hotels, two lush green golf courses, and acres and acres of smug, expensive homes. At the police station, a Sergeant Martin was out, so I went over to the harbor inn to meet the latest victim of Lorraine Broderick's talents, a hotel operator named Harrington. Tall, gray-haired, slack, sports shirt, suntan, and sandals. I, uh, I suppose I'm avoiding this business and your questions because I still feel quite chagrined about this whole thing. Pretty understandable, Mr. Harrington. On the face of it, you, you'd think I'd been in the hotel business 30 seconds instead of 30 years, the way she took me. Well, if it's any comfort, she's done the same thing in several cities and as many hotels. <sighs> no comfort, thank you. She was that good, huh? Brother, she was the best. She pranced in here as big as life. Probably didn't have a nickel in the purse. What's more, for the whole four days she was here, she didn't break stride once. Only the best of everything. Uh-huh. I see, she, uh, she gave you a check for $813. Is that right? Painfully right. <laughs> and I took it. No questions. <laughs> Every night in the dining room, she'd order champagne, special dishes... I'd give you some idea of how she carried on. Yeah, I get the idea. I've seen my share of grifters and bad check artists, but 
she tops them all. Perfume, clothes, luggage, conversation. Can I ask you a question? I'm humiliated already. Go ahead. She checked in here alone, registered as Mrs. Lorraine Bradley, Beverly Hills, right? That's right. Well, now, didn't it strike you as odd that a woman would check in a place like this, a resort hotel, alone, stay four days and uh, meet no one, see no one? You're wrong. She didn't keep to herself. Became friends with at least half a dozen guests in the place. The way she was throwing my money around, why not? She picked up all the tabs. She threw me off right from the start. Let's talk about that. Start at the top, please. Well, she showed up last Wednesday night in a cab loaded down with luggage. Probably wrote a bad check for that someplace. Probably. She, uh, she came swinging into the lobby with a cabbie following her. Told the night clerk she wanted to see me. When I came down the stairs, she yelled, Harry, ran up, kissed me, asked me how my wife was. <laughs> you beat that. No. One of those tricks that your mind plays on you, I suppose. I, uh, I actually thought I did remember her from somewhere. Pretty good. What was her story? Uh, she said she was on her way back from Lake Tahoe. Wanted to rest up. Something about just getting a divorce, being awarded 3000 a month alimony. That impressed me. It would impress anyone, Mr. Harrington. Did she make up any kind of a story about where she'd met you before? No, no, no story. But I got the impression, and of course she saw to it, that she had stopped here before. I wasn't altogether a boob. I, I did check her home address in Beverly Hills. There was a Robert Bradley listed there, same address she gave Later on, I found out that he's in Europe with his wife and children. But his name was in the book. Oh, yes. Say, getting back to that part about her being familiar. That's just a good trick on her part, Ella. I did think I'd known her from somewhere, and, well, she also arranged it so that I was too embarrassed to ask her specifically. (laughs) In all honesty, I, I suppose I wanted to have known her. Can you explain that? She was about the most beautiful thing I ever saw. She walked through that door right now and told me none of this was true. I'd probably believe her. Mm-hmm. Do you have a copy of her hotel account? I'd like to look it over. Why? Oh, the phone calls, mostly. Maybe she contacted someone we can trace. Mm-mm. Uh, no phone calls. Here. This check was drawn on a bank in Beverly Hills. Was it personalized? No. <laughs> Maybe I should have thought something of that. Huh? Oh, not particularly. Well, here's this much. I, I can't stand to look it over. It makes me kind of sick. I spent another hour with Mr. Harrington as he distastefully covered the items on the bill she'd paid for with that bad check. Later that afternoon, I met with Sergeant Martin, Santa Barbara Police, who reported that a woman answering Lorraine's description had passed bad checks in Burlingame, Santa Maria, and Ojai, California. Expense account item 14, $102.85. Transportation to Monterey and Santa Cruz, where I interviewed two other hotel managers who had filed complaints. Their stories were pretty much the same as Harrington's, down to the pretended familiarity, the divorce, and alimony details. Item 15, $4.15, long-distance phone call, Steele again in Hartford. That you, Johnny? Yeah, Mr. Steele. I've been hopping around all over the state. Policeman in Santa Barbara called here trying to find you, Sergeant Martin. He says he's got a line on her. Huh? He's done it again. Hop down to Malibu Beach. The man who runs the seaside in there found out her check was bad 15 minutes after she left. Now get started. You shouldn't be more than an hour behind her. Mr. Steele, I'm on my way. (laughs) 
Johnny Dollar. Dollar, my name's King, Malibu Sheriff Station. Did you leave a message here? Oh, yes, sir. I understand you're looking for Lorraine Broderick. Broderick or Bradley, whatever name she's using. We want her. I'm looking for her, too. Well, what's your connection? I'm an insurance investigator. We've been trying to find her all the way from Hartford. We have to pay off a claim that's due her. Claim? Yeah, that's right. An old man left her $1,500. Huh. She doesn't deserve it, not that one. I can't tell him that. He's dead. I'm expecting a little action on it pretty quick. Like to be in on it. Come on over. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. Location, Malibu Beach, California. To the Eastern Trust Insurance Company Claims Division, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Broderick matter. More expenses, item 15, $38 even. More transportation. My trip here to Malibu Beach, where I didn't even bother listening to another disgruntled hotel proprietor repeat a bad check story I knew only too well. I went directly to the sheriff's station and Deputy King. Well, that's about the picture, Mr. Dollar. Lorraine Bradley was at the end four days and checked out this morning. Use the name Bradley. Lorraine Bradley. She can't be too far ahead of you now. I hope not. This has been a long, rough chase. While she was at the inn, she took up with one of our local residents, a man named Joe Tappan, who lives over in the beach colony. We know this much. He drove her into town this morning when she checked out of the inn. Have you talked to this man Tappan yet? He hasn't come back yet. When did she leave the inn? Oh, about ten this morning. Uh-huh. After two now. Well, it gives him just about time. He has a house over in the colony. We've got a man there. Colony? Or down the road a piece. They call it that because a lot of movie stars built beach homes there 25 or 30 years ago. Movie colony, right in the beach. Oh, this Tappan, is he an actor? Yeah, when he gets work, which isn't very often. Mainly, he keeps suntan. Excuse me. Sure. Yeah, this king. Oh, good, right away. Tappan just drove up to his house. Let's go. I went with Deputy King to talk with Joe Tappan. He turned out to be a healthy, muscular man in his mid-thirties. By the time we got there, he was in trunks and sunglasses, sitting on a porch at the front of his house. He was a little stunned by the news we brought him. What? The rain of phony. Are you sure about this, Sheriff? That's the man at the seaside inn. Oh, no. No, I don't believe it. Is this Lorraine? Go ahead, look at it. Well, that... Looks like Lorraine. Yes, but I can't be sure. She's older. Well, I mean, the girl in this picture's pretty young. It's her, all right. Mr. Dollar's been looking all over the country for Hartford, New York City, up and down this coast. Well, come on. Let's go up to the house. I thought I knew her pretty well. How long did you know her, Mr. Tappan? Well, not long, but I knew her. I really did. When did you meet her? The first night she checked into the seaside inn. Four days, then? Yeah. Uh, want something to drink? No. No, thanks. Well, I think I'll have... No, 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 I, I don't want to talk about her. We have to talk about her, Mr. Tappan. But I'm sure there's some explanation about the check. She'd have to explain quite a few checks. Right, Dollar? Yeah, that's about it. Mr. Tappan, I understand you drove her into Los Angeles this morning. Uh, that's right. I took her to the Beverly Glen Hotel. Did she check in there? No, she just dumped her luggage. She told me she didn't know whether or not she'd have to go to Chicago tonight. Something about a house she owned there that had to be rented or sold. Uh-huh. Did you leave her there at the Beverly Glen? Uh, no. She made a phone call and said that she had to meet her lawyer. Did she say where? 
a bar in Hollywood, the topper, I think it was, on Coinga Boulevard. I drove her over there and left her. When was this? A couple of hours ago, I guess. About noon. How was she dressed? Black, strapless, wore a fur stole. Did she mention any names, tell you anything about herself? Oh, yes. She told me that six months ago, a little boy was killed in an automobile accident. He was only two years old. She said that was the thing that broke up her marriage to this Bradley. Uh Uh-huh. And she told me that she needed to believe in something again. Uh, Someone. And that she needed someone to believe in her. Well, there wasn't any little boy or any husband, Mr. Tappan. There have been a couple of men I've talked to. A dentist in Hartford, a businessman in New York who felt the same way as you do about her. Well, even with what you told me, I believe what she said. Why, why she cried a little when she was telling me. Oh, I, I don't care how you look at me. I, I don't think that anyone could invent a story that tragic without some sort of basis. A good liar can see a story in a newspaper like that one and adapt it for his own needs. But I am an actor, sir, and I can tell when other people are acting. She wasn't. She... She... Well, go on, Mr. Tappan. Look, I've got a suggestion for you. Uh, what's your name? Dollar. I've got a suggestion for you. Try believing what people tell you sometime. It'll do something with that habit you have of bearing down with your eyes. Okay, the next time I have two weeks off. What? See you, Mr. Tappan. I drove into Hollywood with Deputy King. At the Beverly Glen Hotel, a worried clerk was still wondering what to do with the 14 pieces of luggage Lorraine Broderick had deposited there earlier. No, she was not registered at the hotel. No, she hadn't phoned in and given him any instructions. Deputy King made arrangements for a man to cover the lobby in case she showed up to claim her things, and we went into the topper. What will it be, gentlemen? Police. I'd like to talk to the man who was on duty here at noon today. Oh, that's me, sir. Is anything wrong? Now, this is Mr. Dollar. We're trying to locate a woman who's been using the name Lorraine Bradley. We were told she was in here around noon today. Nope, I don't recognize that name, sir. About 5'5", five, five, dark brown hair, brown eyes, 24 years old, wore a black strapless summer dress and a stole. Yeah, the 24... No, no, nobody like that in all day. No, sir, noon is a pretty slow time, sir. I'd have noticed if anybody like that came in, I think. Have you been on duty all that time? I came on at 10, that's when we opened. Are you sure this is the right place, the topper? Now, this is the place. Well, I wish I could help you, sir, but I'm sorry. Excuse me, will you? Well, we struck out. One thing. What's that? That luggage at the Beverly Glen. Yeah. We'll keep an eye on it. Lorraine Broderick did not return to the Beverly Glen Hotel that day to claim her luggage. The lobby was watched around the clock. Her description was on the Daily Bulletin. Every policeman in Los Angeles was on the lookout for her. I spent my time thinking about the little girl who had helped an old man sell newspapers one afternoon years ago. A little girl with a face like an angel. I didn't feel good about this case. But Joe Tappan felt worse when I went to see him again. Well. Hi. Mind if I come in? What now, Mr. Dollar? Your girlfriend. What about her? I've been thinking about what you told us. So? So maybe you didn't understand what I told you. Now, look I'm here. not pushing my weight around, Tappan. But it seems to me you're a little stubborn in what you want to believe about her. How old did she tell you her baby was that she lost in a car accident? Two years old. All right. Two years ago, she was working for a dentist in Hartford, Connecticut. He was pretty much in love with her. She left him flat to take up with a man in the brokerage business in New York. 
She left him flat. Took $6,500 when she did it. There wasn't any baby in her life then. Her name was Lorraine Broderick. It still is. Now, would you like to see my file on her? I brought it along. No, thanks. I thought I'd better prove that part was a lie. So you proved it. Mind if I sit down? Help yourself. Thanks. Do you have anything else to tell me? I suppose I do, Mr. Tappan, since you don't seem to want to tell me anything. Now, just sit down, please. I've heard every man who knew her describe her, and I think I can understand why they feel the way they do. All I've got is a picture from a high school annual taken when she was 17. That was pretty good. She's 24 now. She must be seven years better. Anyhow, you're my only hope now. What? Lorraine Broderick can get away from the police for a while. Oh, yeah, she's smart and clever, and she can go right on doing the same thing she's been doing all along, stealing, writing bad checks. But that's police business. My part is to find her and give her something one man left her, an insurance bequest. But it's become more than that now, to find her and stop her, maybe. Look, they'll get her eventually, Tappan. Do you know what five years in prison can do to a woman like her? Do you? Because I know her and she passed a few bad checks doesn't mean that I'm responsible in any way. You're right, it doesn't. But you're involved just the same. Oh, you're different from just some hotel man who's been tilted. You're a boyfriend. True, just a four-day boyfriend. But a woman like Lorraine Broderick can do a lot of damage in four days' time. Why are you here? What do you want? I'm here to disillusion you, Tappan, because I don't think you're disillusioned enough. Now, just You're a perfect stranger to me. I don't know you from a Grand Rapids chair, but I'm doing you a favor talking to you about Lorraine Broderick. I'm doing you a favor telling you she's a crook and a thief and a forger, and everything she ever told you was a lie. Now and then, a woman walks into a man's life that he'd sell his soul for. But all she'll do in return is write you a bad check for it. She's trouble in a great big way, Tappan. You know it as well as I do. Well, what do you want me to do? Apologize for meeting her? I'll be satisfied if you tell me where she is. What? And stop lying. Now, now, now look here. I've listened to all Lorraine I want to Lorraine Broderick never went to that bar in Hollywood you were talking about yesterday. You didn't drop her off there. No one there has ever seen her. And she's the kind who could walk around the polo grounds with 50,000 other people and still be seen. Now, where did you take her? Where is she now? Could it, um, could it be fixed so she wouldn't know I told you? I suppose so. She's at the Wentmore downtown, registered under the name of Evelyn Brady. Oh, this, this beats me, Dollar. I just don't understand it. What do you mean? How what you told me is true, I know that. But an hour ago, she called me up here and she said, Joe, I love you. Well, that sounded true, too. And I told her that I loved her. Now I'm turning her in. <laughs> what kind of crazy world do we live in? Expense account item 16, $14. Cab fare from Malibu to downtown Los Angeles in the Wentmore Hotel. A second-rate old-timer on Figueroa Street. A little different from the swank spots where Lorraine Broderick had lived so gaily. The clerk told me she was in 1302. I walked down the hall to Lorraine Broderick's room. The door was standing partially open. All of the lights seemed to be on. Hello? Hello? Hello, anybody? Go back! Huh? Get out of this room! What? Get away! Get out of here! 
I'd found Lorraine Broderick at last. Only she was standing on a ledge outside the window, all ready for a leap into eternity. Johnny Dollar. Room 1302. This is the desk clerk. I have a call here. Never mind the call. You call the police. You call the police. Call the police and tell them to hurry. There's an attempted suicide up here. Who is this? Shut up and do as I tell you. Now, just a minute. It won't do you any good. It won't do you any good at all. Wait a minute. Police. You. Who cares? I'm going to jump. Anyhow. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. Location, Los Angeles, California. To the Eastern Trust Insurance Company Claims Division, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Broderick matter. An old man in Hartford died and left $1,500 insurance money to a little girl who had been nice to him one afternoon back in 1943. My job, get the money to her. Even if she might take it and jump off the 13th floor ledge of a building. Don't. Don't come any closer. I'll jump. Lorraine. Don't come any closer. It's cold out there. Don't you think you should come inside? I'm going to jump. Stay away now. Don't try to grab me. All right. All right, I'll do anything you say, Lorraine. Okay. What are you doing? Taking off my coat. Standing out there, it must be cold. Here. You take my coat. Don't come close. I'm not. I don't want your coat. All right, Lorraine. I never saw you before in my life. How do you know my name? I've seen you. No, you haven't. I remember people. Watch out. Just going to light a cigarette. I can light a cigarette, can I? Do you want one? No. Can I have one? Suit yourself. Are you a policeman? No. Where did you see me? In a picture. In your high school annual at St. Charles. St. Charles? What do you know about St. Charles? What's your name? Johnny Dollar. Are you from Hartford? Yes. Let me see your face in the light. Over there. Don't come near this window. Don't come near her. I'll jump right down there. That's right there. No, you aren't from Hartford. I never knew you. You're lying to me. No, I'm not. As room clerk of this hotel, I'm entitled to know... Oh. Go away! Get out of here! Get out of here or I'll jump! What? Get out. Go on, go on, go on, get out. Yes, yes. Did you call the police? Uh, no, uh, but I will. I heard you tell him about the police. I don't care. They can't stop me. Nobody can stop me. No. No, I suppose not, Lorraine. You can jump any time you want to. I can't stop you. I wanted somebody to call the police. I want them all down there. When the crowd's big enough, I'll jump. And I'm not afraid to do it. I'm not afraid. I know that. Lorraine, why don't you come away from the edge? I won't hurt you. Everybody hurts me. You would, too. Why do you want to jump, Lorraine? I have my reasons. Look! There's a couple of people down there who see me. They're looking up here. They'd like to see me jump. Look, they're stopping other people. 
They'd all like to see me jump. I don't think they'd like to see that at all, Lorraine. Oh, yes, they would. Those people down there would love to see it happen. You'd like it, too. No. No, I wouldn't. I want you to live, Lorraine. You're afraid, aren't you? Yes, I am. Why? Dying is something all of us face. If you die here tonight, it makes me a little afraid of dying. I don't like to be afraid of anything. Neither do I. You must be afraid of something. I'm not afraid of anything. I've never been afraid of anything. I'm going to jump down there, and that proves I'm not afraid. I don't believe you, Lorraine. I think you were afraid to love Dr. Pollard in Hartford. I think you were afraid to marry William Dameron in New York City. I think you've been afraid of everything and everybody that was good for you for a long, long time. Don't come closer. Would you like to talk to a priest, Lorraine? No. Look, sometimes a priest can help you when you're, you're all mixed... I'm so worried I'm going to jump off here any minute. You'd say anything or try anything. I don't even know what you're doing here, why you came here. I told you, Lorraine, I've been looking for you. Tell him to go back. Tell him to go back, or I'll jump. Go back, go back. Go on back, you crazy fools. Get back. It's all right. They aren't coming. I don't want anybody here. A lot more people down there in the street now. Oh, they're getting the big lights up here. Golly. Lorraine, look at me. Look toward me. What? I want to help you, Lorraine. Nobody wants to help me. Nobody's ever wanted to help me. You're wrong. Then why did Mama and Daddy die? Why did they have to die? Why did Uncle Jim die? Why was I left alone? Why didn't I have anybody? You did have somebody. You had Dr. Pollard if you wanted him. You had William Dameron. Did you meet William? Yes, sure, last week. He's still very much in love with you, Lorraine. After I stole money from him and, and walked out on him? Oh, the money meant nothing to him. He still loves you, Lorraine. He told me so. I don't love him. I never loved him. He thought so. He was just... Nice. Why did you leave him that way? I'm no good. I never have been. You know. I've never been any good to anybody. You're lying to me about him. Would you like to talk to Dameron? I can get him on the phone. No. I don't want to talk to him or to anybody I know. But after I jump, you can tell him something for me. Sure. Tell him I meant to send the money back to him. I didn't... You can tell him I loved him. He'd feel good if you told him that, I think. All right. Go back! I don't care who you are! Go back or I'll jump right now! Wait! Close that hall door. Do you want to see me jump? You'll have to watch from the street down there with the others. Close it! Was he a policeman? I suppose so. I don't know. He looked foolish. Oh, Lord, he looked foolish. Yeah, well, uh, we all look foolish at one time or another. It passes. Do I look foolish? Yes. Yeah, you look foolish. You're not going through with this. You know that for the first time in my life, I know exactly what I want to do, how I want to do it. I'm going to jump. He's on the roof out here. They have a net. 
A big net. From what I know about you, I thought you always knew pretty much what you wanted to do in life. Oh, that's funny. Oh, that's very funny. I knew what I wanted in life. I never knew anything. And it's all botched up. Mom and Daddy died. I should have died, too. I should have been with Mom and Daddy when they were killed in the car. Well, it won't be long. I'll be with them. I won't be tired anymore pretty soon. Those men with a net up there. Lorraine, wait. Wait for what? You said you talked to people who've known me, who know what I was and what I am. Well, I didn't turn out the way they wanted me to, did I? I didn't even turn out the way I wanted to be. Look at me. Why should I wait? One man had more faith in you than anybody else. They tried to lower that He was an old man named John Smith. He sold papers back in Hartford. Old John Smith. Lorraine, you met him one day when you were a little girl. You helped him sell his papers one afternoon. It meant a lot in his life, an awful lot. Do you remember him? No. You were 11 years old. You lived on Cushing Street. Yes. downtown after school one day to look in the windows. I had a nickel and I bought a paper from that old man. He had tobacco juice on his lips. I talked to him. He told me all about selling papers. He said I was a very nice little girl. He asked me my name and where I lived. We talked about school and about growing up. He told me I'd grow up someday and be a lovely woman. He said, lovely woman. He was very nice. He was the nicest man I ever knew. And I only knew him that one afternoon. Where is he? He's dead, Lorraine. Dead? He left you all his money, insurance money. It comes to $1,500. No, Lorraine. He wanted you to have it. He worked very hard and sacrificed a great deal to make sure you'd have it. You're making all this up. It's all a lie. Only that afternoon. It was an important afternoon. Here, look. What? Don't come closer. These prove I'm from the insurance company. Here, here's the check. Throw them over. All right. Go ahead. Pick them up. I won't make a move. What do you think now? That old man. That poor old man. Oh, that poor old man. Easy. Easy. Expense account item 17, 550, martinis. I needed them. It was my first and I hope my last half hour with an intended suicide. Attach find insurance check payable to Lorraine Broderick for $1,500. The psychiatrist who examined her believed that she will make a complete recovery in time. Until such time, she's not classified as a responsible person. I notified two parties of the events at the Wentmore Hotel. One, Mr. William Dameron in New York City, who arrived in Los Angeles yesterday morning. Two, Joseph Tappan, who has already secured legal counsel for Lorraine Broderick when she answers the bad check charges against her. 
As you know, in matters like this, restitution is usually preferred to prosecution. Expense account item 18, $185. Transportation back to Hartford. Total, $1,132.14. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Remember, please, there'll be another intriguing story for you beginning next Monday night. Next week, the Cronin matter. A matter of keeping a sweet old lady from carefully and deliberately losing her life. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by John Dawson, it is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Heard in this week's cast were Eleanor Audley, Barbara Eiler, Virginia Gregg, Carlton Young, Harry Bartell, Herbert Ellis, John Daner, Marvin Miller, Tony Barrett, Frank Gerstel, Chester Stratton, and Lawrence Dobkin. Musical supervision by Amerigo Marino. Be sure to join us on Monday night, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, Roy Rowan speaking. Welcome back. I can't uh, start without talking about episode five. From a technical standpoint, this is just incredibly good. Of course, in the leads in this episode, you've got Bob Bailey and Virginia Gregg, two of the best performers in the golden age of radio. And if you were to make a highlight reel... Of their performances, this episode would belong front and center. However, let's also not forget Jack Johnstone's direction, because I think that's really key to what makes this work. Now, this entire serial is based on two stories, primarily the Thelma Ibsen matter, with some details added from the Emily Braddock matter. The Thelma Ibsen matter also has the ledge scene. Although it's a little bit shorter, they can expand upon it. And let me just go ahead and talk about it in isolation as its own thing. I think it's a pretty darn good scene. John Lund plays into that more gentle and softer take on Johnny Dollar. 
And this scene is right in his wheelhouse. Virginia Gregg, I think, does a good job as she played Thelma Ibsen. So it was a perfectly fine scene. So how is what we get here better? Mainly, it comes down to Bob Bailey and some of the behind-the-scenes decisions by Jack Johnstone. Now, the way that Bailey played it different than Lund is Lund played it with compassion, with concern, and Bailey has that, but there's a little bit extra, and there's a sense of desperation about this, which bleeds over really beautifully in these scenes where the hotel clerk is being obtuse and through his blunder, putting Lorraine's life at risk. There's some intense desperation that Johnny is trying to hide, and Bailey playing it that way makes it so much more interesting. And I think that Virginia Gregg is slightly more intense, and I don't know whether she's responding to Bailey's performance or if Johnstone asked for that performance. But given that she was the same talent in 1955 that she was in 1953, it was one or the other. And as for the direction, one thing that when I was listening to the Thelma Ibsen matter that I noticed this time is that Jaime Del Valle had this musical bit while John Lund and Virginia Gregg were performing, like background music, and you get later on in the scene. And in the recordings that I've heard, it kind of creates like this almost dreamy, echoey effect. In the Broderick matter, Jack Johnstone decides to not have music until after Lorraine starts crying. And that's exactly the right call. As I've said before, you've got two of the best performers ever to step behind a microphone, and you have a really good script. So trusting them to carry the scene is exactly the right choice. Now let's talk about the story. I thought it was an interesting moment in episode three when Johnny called the insurance company to ask if they wanted to continue on with this case because he was feeling pretty disillusioned. And I think the audience could relate to that. I remember when I first listened to it, I heard the initial opening and I thought, oh, this is going to be a nice little case. It's such a sweet thing that this old man did. And then we get three straight episodes of seeing her leave this sort of wake of sadness and doing horrible things. Steele's answer to Johnny is interesting. In the first episode, he was kind of wistful and looking forward to paying this off and so inspired by the newspaper seller's generosity. But in the third episode, he just tells Johnny that the job needs done. The uh, insurance company needs to find the beneficiary and ensure payment is made. There is still a duty of care, even if what may have made Johnny and Steele seem enthusiastic about it. 
no longer applies. And Steele's answer, I think, does foreshadow the way this ends up resolving. Where the Emily Braddock matter actually came in was to expand on the Thelma Ibsen matter by taking the check forgery element. I will say it's a difficult fit, as I think that the sort of check forgery that was portrayed in the Emily Braddock matter was a lot more cold-blooded, but I think it works here. Through the first four episodes, I'd say that the Broderick Manor was, in many ways, a very typical story that you might see in a lot of places from the mid-1950s. How dangerous it is to start down the wrong path. How one bad decision can lead to another, and lead to another, and lead you to a dark place. I think that the thrust of these stories is to teach the importance of remaining on the straight and narrow. And certainly, that's a good moral, and I think that there is a place for those sort of stories. However, episode 5 really does flip the script. Without excusing or minimizing her behavior, episode 5 lets her have her say. Johnny and Mr. Steele think they're disillusioned with Lorraine Broderick. Lorraine Broderick is even more so. She has disappointed herself. And that shame has led her to this drastic action. And Johnny has to make a decision. And it's an incredible shift from episode 4 to episode 5. In episode 4, he's reached the point where... Getting Lorraine Broderick check is almost a pretext to stop her to the point of trying to save her. And there's that real moment where Johnny confesses to being afraid and that seeing her jump would make him more afraid of death. It's a really vulnerable and real moment. Of course, it all comes back to the newsstand guy, John. And in the end, it wasn't that he was wrong about Lorraine. He was right about her when he met her at 11, but he had no idea what direction her life would take. Her kindness really meant a lot to him. And his response and kindness in setting aside the insurance policy is ultimately his act of kindness that saves her life. And it really is striking that her kindness when she was 11 and his kind response back, such relatively small gestures, end up making such a big difference in the end. Listener comment and feedback now. And this is all about Alphonse. If you'll recall, I admitted to being a little bit lost with Johnny's line to Inspector Marcus in the first episode of the Lorco Diamonds Matter, After You, Alphonse, as I couldn't find a source for it. And I received several emails. I think the first one I got was from Barry, who says, Hi, Adam, about Johnny Dollar calling the Algiers Inspector Alphonse. He was using a catchphrase from an early 1900s comic strip. Two Frenchmen were so polite... 
they would have even trouble even going through the door. Each would bow and insist, after you, Alphonse, after you, Gaston. The expression uh, fits situations where people want something done, but can't coordinate like two outfielders just standing there as the ball lands between them. When the job has to be done, preferably by someone else, the phrase would be, let George do it. Well, sort of an ironic connection there, Barry. And other listeners sent along the Wikipedia page, and you can take a look at it. It is for Alphonse and Gaston, A-L-P-H-O-N-S-E. I think I may have been misspelling the Alphonse when I looked for it. But apparently the script by Frederick Burr Alper uh was it was kind of an occasional feature. It was not like a weekly thing, certainly wasn't a daily, but it popped up from time to time. And they do show the panel, the uh uh, uh where uh, Alphonse is saying, You first, my dear Gaston, and then uh, Gaston is saying, After you, my dear Alphonse. And even though the strip according to the Wikipedia article, faded from public consciousness after Opper died, it still remained in the popular consciousness and pops up from time to time, including in a New York Times article about 15 years ago. It's something I love about hosting this podcast. I learned so much from listeners, and uh, thank you so much, um... I received emails from Martin, David, Nancy, and Chuck, and a Facebook comment from David providing this information. I'm recording it on the day that the episode released, so it's possible I could get even more. But I do thank all of those I named, as well as anyone who subsequently contacts me to answer this question. Now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. And I want to go ahead and thank Martin. Martin has been one of our Patreon supporters since September 2017, currently supporting us at the Detective Sergeant level of $7.14 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Martin. And that will do it for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, please follow us with your favorite podcast software. And please also be sure to rate and review us wherever you download us from. We will be back next Tuesday with another Yours Truly Johnny Dollar serial, although not the one they announced. But join us back here tomorrow for Tales of the Texas Rangers, where... I know you've been badly shaken up, Miss Taylor, but I'm going to have to ask you to get hold of yourself and answer some questions. He never did anything to hurt anybody in his whole life. He was always helping people. You want to help us find who shot him, don't you? Oh, yes, of course. All right, then. Try to remember what the man looked like. I told you, he had a bandana on. I couldn't see his face. How tall was he? I, I don't rightly know, Ranger, but he was a big fella. How big? About as tall as you are, I reckon. Oh, Mr. Reeves was always so good to everybody. You know what kind of a car the man was driving? It was black. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm certain. It was a black sedan. Hey. Yes, Sheriff. Hospital telephone. Jim Reeves just regained consciousness. We better get over there as fast as we can. Okay. I'll talk to you later, Miss Taylor. Is it going to be all right, Sheriff? I'm sorry to upset you anymore, but I'm afraid not, Nancy. Doc says it's only a matter of time. No use to operate now. <laughs> I told him not to run out there. I told him.
trying to make him say his son. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.